Hello everyone and welcome back to the BMW Blog Podcast. This is episode 18 and we have a couple of interesting topics uh, for today. Um, firstly, I want to get started and talk about the... Uh, we actually had a discussion earlier on the website this week uh, about lightweight cars. Uh, it was an article I wrote and I basically had said that I think the horsepower wars need to die and the lightweight car wars need to begin. And that kind of has to do with the fact that we've basically been in horsepower wars for like past couple of decades just car companies trying to one-up each other uh, in terms of horsepower and i think that needs to stop and cars need to start trying to outdo each other in terms of making lightweight chassis so i want to talk about that first uh after that though i want to talk about something that's near and dear to me specifically um my original my first car i ever bought and that was my e36 328i and i want to talk about it because the e36 has been popping up a lot lately just in topics i've had to write um, over the past couple of weeks, and it's just kind of reigniting the f- the flame in my heart for my old E36, so I just want to kind of talk about it and uh, tell you guys about it, just to get it off my chest a little bit. So let's get started. Um, so, lightweight wars. It's interesting. Um, horsepower wars have been a thing for a really long time. Uh, it's like every car company just tries to outdo one another with, you know, more horsepower, more performance more speed everything's just about numbers it's just become a numbers game over the past at minimum 10 years and frankly it's gotten out of hand i mean we have cars that have just ridiculous amounts of horsepower just insane amounts of power power that most people should not have (laughs) to be quite honest with you Uh, i remember watching a chris harris video of i think it was the ferrari f12 at the time and the only thing what he said was that the only thing you need to buy that car is money. You don't need skill, you don't need any sort of training, but you can buy a 700 horsepower weapon that can easily get you sideways into a tree with the slightest mistake, and you need no formal training whatsoever to drive it, which is a bit insane because 90% of the population is kind of crap at driving, at least in the States where I'm used to. So... When you think about how much power these cars are getting, uh, it seems kind of crazy. But it's just automakers trying to one-up each other, trying to make themselves look better than their competition on paper so they can make commercials and advertisements and posters about who has the you know the most power. And you actually, you see it in commercials all the time where car companies are like, this car has more power than every other car in its class and like names them, names the other cars outright and it's like, oh, our car has 330 horsepower whereas the other cars have only 310. It's kind of ridiculous how they've gotten <laughs> so petty with like tiny power figures. But um, it's getting obnoxious and I think it needs to stop for a couple of reasons. One, horsepower is just, it's getting out of control and cars really can't get that much faster. I mean, think about the fastest cars on the planet right now. I think Car and Driver just did a test between the Porsche Taycan uh, Turbo S and the Tesla Model S P100D or whatever the, the top of the model Tesla is. It's got like it's called Raven or something now. I don't know what they're doing anymore. But um, the, the basically the very, very, very fastest Tesla Model S versus the very fastest Porsche Taycan. And the, the Taycan actually ended up being faster, but it was 0 to 60 in something like 2.4 seconds. That's insane. That's just insanity. And what's crazy about that is, again, you only need money to get that car. You don't need any training. You don't need to be anyone special. You just need to be a rich guy or gal. And that's all it takes to get that car. And that much performance is just not safe for the average driver. Not only that, how much faster can we really go? 
like is under two seconds i mean maybe it's a physical possibility for a car to do but would you want to go that fast because at 2.4 seconds you're starting to pull so much acceleration like so much g on your body under acceleration that it's uncomfortable why would you want to go faster than that on the road i just don't see like speed is always a means to fun right that's how car enthusiasts look at speed is you want to go fast enough to be fun and it doesn't matter the actual speed doesn't really matter right it's the speed for like compared to the car uh, relative to the car rather so there's an old adage that driving a slow car fast is more fun than driving a fast car slow it's because driving a you know an underpowered car to the maximum of its potential is a lot more fun than driving an ultra powerful car you know just kind of around town at nowhere near its potential so speed is only means to having fun it's it, that that's where you want to that's the only point of speed is to have a little bit of fun and too much is uncomfortable and then at that point it's not fun anymore is it so i, I feel like getting cars getting so crazy fast is just no longer fun um one car i, I want to point out is the bmw m5 so that can hit 60 in under three seconds the m5 competition can do 60 in under three seconds uh, you know, in, in the right conditions with launch control. It's mind-bendingly fast. And it's, it's so fast that it actually made my passengers a little nauseous and, like, a little uncomfortable because most people aren't used to that much power. Now, I've driven a lot of fast cars because I happen to have a very, very, very lucky and have a very, very cool job where I get to drive a lot of really fast cars. So I'm used to that kind of speed a little bit. But most people aren't. So who are they marketing these cars for? People that don't aren't used to zero sixty in three seconds or less like i don't know it just seems kind of crazy to me that car like that cars are going to continue to get more powerful it just just stop it, they don't need more power than that they don't need to be faster than what they already are now it's just madness to me For, here's a good example i think the the bmw z4 m40i is the most fun car bmw has right now and i will say i think it's more fun than the m2 competition i know i might get you know crucified for that by some car enthusiasts but i think it's the most fun car bmw makes right now and it's fast but it's not ridiculously fast you know zero 60 and probably the high three second range you know it's it's very fast but it's just fast enough where like you just kind of feel like it's going to be a little bit crazy and but it's it's not so fast that you can't control it. it's not so fast where the average person is going to end up in a tree just by flexing their you know right foot a little bit so you don't need crazy amounts of speed to be fun and i think that we're getting to a point now where it has to stop like how much further can we get also when you look at the automotive landscape at the moment speed is sort of going to be i think it's going to kind of be put on the back burner a little bit because cars are switching from internal combustion to electrification right that's the that's the switch we're kind of going through right now is switching over to evs it's a slow switch and it's going to take a long time but eventually that's where we're going to end up and I think, now, I'm not saying that EVs can't be fast. Obviously, the two cars I mentioned before that were the fastest on the road are the Tesla Model S and the Porsche Taycan, all electric. So I'm not saying EVs can't be fast, but the priorities are different. So when you're making an EV, the whole point is to be fast enough to be fun, but still provide great range and still, you know, be comfortable and be quiet and be civilized. So, the, like, the idea of EVs, I think, is going to calm people's power craziness down a little bit. Um, so I think that we're, we've reached a point where power needs is going to stop. Not only does the horsepower war need to stop, but I think it's going to naturally anyway. I think we've kind of hit that point where it's just irrelevant now with EVs and stuff. It's just not a relevant thing to be the biggest 
most powerful car on the block. Uh, range is going to be more important and things like that. Connectivity and autonomy and all that stuff, those are going to be prioritized far more so than horsepower and performance. Now, with that said, I think that automakers should sort of refocus their competitive spirit. Don't kill it completely, but just refocus that energy, that kind of crazy competitive spirit to outdo one another from horsepower to lightweight construction. Now, I, I, I stress lightweight construction over things like range, uh, EV range and stuff like that, autonomy, because I think cars being lighter will just help everything as we move forward. So cars are very heavy right now, especially electric cars, because batteries are very heavy. Granted, that technology will get better and the, the weight of battery packs will come down, but um, cars have just gotten heavier and heavier and heavier, and that's sort of the natural progression of the automotive industry because safety regulations become stricter. So, you know, cars need more airbags and structural impact zones and crumple zones and everything just needs to get bigger and heavier. And then, you know, they need to get more luxurious and they need more tech and they need this and they need that. And all that stuff adds up to make a lot more weight. And that also has actually been a contributing factor to the horsepower wars. The heavier cars have gotten, the more power they need to, to be you know, just as quick as they were before, if not quicker. So, you know, that that's helped or hurt the power problem that I'm, I'm having right now. But the lighter cars get, the better they get. Just period. They just get better the lighter they get in like 90% of circumstances. Sure, you don't want a super lightweight car if you're trying to tow a ton of weight or you don't want a super lightweight car if you're trying to you know off-road in like snow or something like that then you don't want something super lightweight but those are really kind of specific use cases where you're not trying to make the entire auto industry a certain way because of those specific use cases so i think the auto industry as a whole just sort of needs to move toward lightweight construction i think that's the most important thing so lightweight cars handle better they're easier to make ride better, so they can be more comfortable more easily. Um, they're easier to make more. Uh, they're easier to make faster. You don't need tons of power to make a lighter car faster. Um, they help with range for EVs. They help make cars more efficient. Um, you know, they're just better in every way. Lightening a car just makes it better in almost every single way. And I stress this because the lighter cars get, the more fun they're going to get. The easier it's going to be to make cars fun and dynamic and exciting and it's absolutely possible for car companies to make lightweight cars in this day and age with all the tech and safety regulations that are required and expected all of those things can still be had in a modern car that's very lightweight and i point to a couple of cars one the alpine a110 that is a brilliant brilliant little car and it's very very light it's probably one of the lightest cars on sale right now and it is widely considered the most fun car you can buy and i it actually makes me insane that it isn't available in the u.s because i want to drive one desperately it just seems like so much fun and i just i, I just want to drive it but more to my point from before it's lightweight but because it's so light it doesn't need a lot of power and it doesn't have a lot of power it only has a 1.8 liter turbo 4 and it only barely makes 250 horsepower Yet it still hits 60 in like oh, just over 4 seconds, like 4.3 seconds or something. That's really quick. 4.3 seconds is really fast. I remember when Ferraris hit 60 in 4.3 seconds. So like that's a quick little car and it's very fun to drive. It's got the best steering on the market. It has the best chassis dynamics on the market. It's just this 
lovely little package, yet it still passes all the safety regulations. It still has all the modern creature comforts you can want out of a modern premium car. You know, it's it's still comfortable to drive. It's still you know comfortable to ride in. It's relatively quiet on the inside. It's it proves that car companies are capable of making cars that are lightweight, fun to drive, exciting, and still meet all the modern regulations that, that have caused cars to become so heavy. It just takes clever engineering and a little, you know, can-do attitude. And what's crazy is the Alpine A110 comes from a very small manufacturer. It comes from Alpine, which is a tiny little sub-brand of Renault, or Renault, or whatever you want to say, because I can't speak French. Um, but it comes from, and Renault's not a gigantic car company. They're not this huge monster car company. They're big, of course. They're, a, you know, a very, very large car company. But they're not something like, like BMW or Volkswagen. You know, they don't have the money or the resources that those brands have. They don't sell cars in the numbers that those brands do. So when you think of car companies like BMW or Volkswagen or Mercedes-Benz, you know, or, or look at some American brands, Chevy and Ford, you know, G GM, Ford, uh, Chrysler. You look at some of these brands, Honda, Toyota, they're huge monster companies with billions and billions and billions of dollars. They can come up with cars that are lightweight and fun to drive. Now, I honestly don't know the ins and outs of the automotive industry, you know, financially. So I don't know why they're not doing such things. But it's certainly possible because some cars have proven it to be possible. The Alpine being one of them. Uh, other car, Mazda MX-5. Extremely lightweight, yet it's very fun to drive. Why can't more car companies make stuff like the MX-5? You know, or the Alpine or anything. It just... that That's what needs to be the next frontier. That needs to be the next competitive, you know war so to speak car companies need to go to war over who can make the lightest most dynamic chassis on the market now i know that it's expensive i know making very lightweight cars is difficult and pricey and it, you know the materials are expensive more expensive and the engineering behind it's more difficult so that that becomes more expensive and all sorts of stuff like that however that's what the war is for so you get one car company to come out with something really special and really light that, you know, isn't done before. And then another car company will try to do the same thing and then or beat them and then so on and so forth. And car companies will sort of go back and forth. And the cost of doing such things, the cost of lightening cars a lot will come down. Um, you know, right now, putting carbon fiber in anything other than very expensive car uh, chassis is sort of, you know, it's not really financially viable right now you know putting carbon fiber in chassis is very expensive but there's proof that it can be done if you look at cars like the Alfa Romeo 4C that was a very very great car on paper poor execution the car ended up being actually crap to drive but that's a you know that's a whole other story for a whole other time uh, the point is that Alfa was able to make a carbon fiber construction car uh, you know at a reasonable price point the BMW i3 is another one. That's at a reasonable price point. That is carbon fiber construction. You know, BMW dumped tons of money into making a plant in, like, Washington State that runs on windmills or something uh, that, that can build carbon fiber chassis, and they only use it for the i3, and they don't use it for anything else. It's sort of insane. To me, at least, it's sort of insane. Maybe I just don't understand, you know, automotive finances, but to me, it just seems crazy that car companies aren't at least trying to use carbon fiber tech in smaller cars. You know, make a lot of these smaller, less expensive cars constructed a little bit of carbon fiber. I'm not saying all carbon fiber, or, or you know, maybe throw some aluminum and make cars lighter. Just start, start introducing more lightweight tech into cars, and then other car companies will follow, and other car companies will follow them, and then it'll become a literal lightweight war, where each car company is trying to outdo the other one on making their car 
as light as possible. And in the end, customers will win because cars will be better to drive. They'll be more efficient. They won't need as much power, so they'll be more fuel uh, fuel efficient. Um, you know, they won't pollute the environment as much. They'll just be better in every single way. Now, there is also a question of safety. So, because I wrote an article about this very topic, I believe last week, a lot of commenters were curious about safety. I actually had a couple that were adamant that the lighter the car is, the less safe it is. And that's not necessarily true. Yes, if a car is very light because it's made out of tin, it's not going to be safe. But it all depends on the construction of the car, the type of chassis it has, the materials used. There's so much involved in safety. There's so much that goes on in, in making a car safe. It's not just the weight of the car. And thinking so is asinine. It just It's absolutely not true. Um, there are a lot of light cars that are safe. The BMW i3 is a great example. That car is very, very light. It's under 3,000 pounds. Yet it's very safe. Why? Because it has a carbon fiber tub. Carbon tub cars are extremely safe. The McLaren, every McLaren is a great example. Every modern McLaren uses a carbon fiber tub. Yet they are extraordinarily safe in crashes because carbon tubs are extremely strong. Carbon fiber has a uh, is better at you know crash impacts than steel is. It absorbs energy better than steel, and because it's a single rigid shell, like it's a single rigid tub without some you know metal bonded and welded together, it's a single piece of carbon fiber. Because of that, it's just it's so strong, it's so structurally sound, and so capable of withstanding impact that these cars are actually safer than their big heavy metal alternatives. A good example is the, um, there was a story recently, uh, maybe last year or something, I think it was for Men's Health, a journalist was driving, uh, he was riding shotgun in the new McLaren 570 Spider, and the, the journalist in the driver's seat drove them right off a damn cliff in California. They, I think they dropped like 200 feet and they rolled like 12 times or something crazy like that. Basically, they should have been dead, both of them. Neither of them walked away with more than a scratch or bumps and bruises, despite dropping literally hundreds of feet and rolling several times at very high speed. I think, uh, I think I read as they went off the cliff, they were doing 85 miles per hour, you know, then plus you add, you know, the, the speed of gravity, uh, the acceleration of gravity as the car, uh, goes down the hill. That, that's, that's very fast and a lot of impact, yet they were fine. Why? Because the carbon tub and the airbags that went off inside kept them so secure and safe that they were okay. And then, and McLarens are very light. So that's the point I'm trying to make with the safety the safety thing. Safety concerns is that just because a car is light does not mean it's less safe than a heavier car. Are some lighter cars less safe than heavier cars? Of course. But it all has to do with the construction of the car, impact zones, crumple zones, airbags, the way it's designed to take an impact, all sorts of things like that. They, all of that goes into designing a car safety. It's not just weight and steel and big, heavy, bulky bars. That's not what makes a car safe anymore. Actually, uh... GM sort of tried to put that myth uh, to bed uh, a few years ago. They took like a, a old Chevy Bel Air and a new Malibu and they crashed them head to head uh, and had crash dummies on the inside and all that. And, and just to prove that modern cars are far safer than older cars, despite older cars being big hunks of steel. And that's because of impact zones and crumple zones and all that stuff. Cars are just far better designed to take crashes now, to take withstand impacts now, than they were before. 
and there was like a common myth that, you know, a lot of old boomers like to say that, you know, old cars are safer. So they want to get like kids old cars, like 17 year olds, like really old like 60s cars. I think they're safer. And it's not the case. So GM put out this thing like, don't buy Chevy Bel Airs for safety because they're not safer than modern cars. And it's true. You know, the, the people in the Bel Air in that test would have died. The people in the Malibu were fine. So, you know, just because a car is lighter doesn't mean it's not as safe as a heavier car. So the lightweight cars are just better. They're just better. The lighter the car gets in, you know, granted, the lighter the car gets in a safe, well-engineered way, the better it gets. You know, you can't just start ripping crap out of the car and say it's going to be better. But if you design a car from the ground up to be lighter, if you design a car from the ground up to have lightweight construction, lightweight materials like aluminum or carbon fiber or magnesium or these, yes, these parts are expensive, but it's worth putting them in. Because the lighter the cars get, the better we'll all be. Cars will be more fun. They'll be more fuel efficient. They won't burn as many pollutants into the air because they just won't be burning as much fuel. It's plain and simple. They'll have smaller engines with less power because they won't need it. You know, Everything will get better. EVs will get better because they'll, they'll have more range because they'll be lighter. Just so much stuff like that. So please, car companies, please start investing more into lightweight tech than horsepower and all that crap. Please. And, and granted, they are. Car companies are doing a lot uh, to make cars lighter but I just I want that to be the next competitive war between car companies forget trying to outdo each other with power try to outdo each other with lightweight materials now let's get away from that a little bit uh, I want to talk about something personal to me something near and dear to my heart and that's my old e36 328i uh, it was my first car. Well, actually, it was the first car I ever bought. My, the first car I really ever had, I only had it for like a couple of months, and it was my uh, parents' old Chevy S10. It was an 89 Chevy S10 that had more rust holes in it than actual metal body panels. So that was a piece of crap. But the first car I ever bought was my E36, and it was a 1996 BMW 328i sedan. And I remember I had been searching for just some kind of premium German sports car uh, for a while. It's just I've always kind of liked them. Uh, not specifically BMW, but I was kind of looking for anything cool uh, and premium. And honestly, I was 17. I was looking for a car to get girls, realistically. I was just out of high school, and uh, I was trying to, you know, impress girls my age, and I thought getting a you know cool car would do that. Of course, it didn't, because it turns out that to be charming to women, you have to actually be charming. You have to, uh, you know have a decent job and you know be funny and sweet and nice and charming and handsome and i didn't have any of those other things but i had the cool car anyway so i remember looking at uh a b5 generation audi a4 i think that was also a 96 and it was awesome it was an awesome combo it was green with black interior five speed and uh, quattro all-wheel drive it was a really cool car and i wanted that really badly so I took my brother and we went to this shady dealership in, I want to say Linden, New Jersey. And we looked at this car and he immediately was like, this car's stolen. You're not buying it. <laughs> it's so janky and beat up. Do not buy it. So I was a bit upset because I really liked the car and it was really cool. Like that's a cool spec, you know, a green B5 uh, A4 with a manual and all wheel drive. That's pretty cool. But uh, it was too beat up and it wasn't in great shape and it just wasn't worth it. So he advised me not to buy it. Thankfully, uh, just a, I think just a week or so later, because this was quite a few years ago, uh, just a week or so later, I found a 1996 328i, as I had said, and it was, I believe, on its second owner at the time, so it was 
you know, wasn't, didn't exchange hands a lot. And back in 2000, and, oh man, I don't even remember, 2008 maybe, 2007, it only had 142,000 miles on it for a 96, which that was pretty good. And the guy had it in great shape. I mean, it was immaculate. I remember going to his house and meeting him, and, you know, I was only 17, and he, uh, he was a really nice guy. Uh, he was in the truckers union. He was just, he was just a nice guy. And he had this silver E36 and it was in perfect condition. I mean, it was, he had everything, everything worked. And there was a, the only thing that didn't work on the car when I first got it was the driver's side rear door lock wouldn't power lock. So you, you know, you use the remote or turn the key to, you know, power lock all the power lock and unlock all the doors but that one wouldn't go, like power, I'd have to do it manually. That was the only thing wrong with it. Every window worked, the sunroof worked, the AC worked, everything was perfect. I mean, no, no check engine lights, the car was perfect. Uh, no, the paint was gorgeous. Actually, the paint was gorgeous up until the day I got rid of it. And the day I got rid of it, it was in bad shape. But the paint was still in really good shape, so the paint on that car lasted really, really well. Um, the interior was immaculate. It was just it was black leather. It was just a gorgeous, gorgeous car. And the only reason he had, was selling it was because he had he just bought an E46 that he liked more. So he was selling the E36. It's that simple. So I remember he was selling it for $5,000. I offered him $4,500. He took it, and I bought my first car. And I loved it. The problem was I was an idiot. <laughs> I was a huge idiot. I had no idea what I was doing because I'd never owned a real car before. You know, I'd owned a pickup truck that barely ran, and I was just an idiot. So, I did not know how to properly maintain a German vehicle, and I was given some really bad advice about how to maintain a proper German vehicle, and I just did not maintain it properly. I did not care for it the right way. Um, when I did, you know, replace anything, I didn't buy good parts. I, you know, I, I cheaped out on a lot of things. I was told that it's all the same crap. So I bought a lot of old, I bought a lot of crappy parts for it. I made a lot of stupid decisions. And ultimately, neglect killed my car. Now, I will say that it took a very long time. E36s apparently are quite tough, because even the neglect of an idiot couldn't kill it for 10 years. I took it to 248,000 miles, I want to say, and I had it for 10 years before it finally died on me, and I got rid of it for $300. <laughs> However... During that time, during those 10 years, I loved that car. Granted, it gave me a ton of headaches. It was a total bitch to deal with so much of the time. But when it worked, oh boy, did it work. Oh man, I loved that car. I loved driving it, and it was automatic. I try not to tell people that because I'm kind of embarrassed the fact that it was an automatic. But I was 17, I honestly didn't care. I just, my, my truck was five speed, um, so I knew how to drive stick, but I just didn't really care. You know, I just didn't really, like, I don't know, for some reason, I just was like, I don't know, I just want to get into the, the first cool car I can, automatic be damned, I don't care. You know, I would have preferred a 5-speed at the time, like I said, the Audi I was looking at was 5-speed, but for some reason, I just didn't care. I got the automatic, and you know what, it was fine. That was actually one of the best parts about the damn car, is that automatic never failed. It was perfect, it worked perfect the whole time, and I never changed the automatic transmission fluid. Never, not once. 248,000 miles, never changing ATF. And that trans worked beautifully up until the day I sold it. It was great. Now, I there are a lot of things I loved about the car. Steering, excellent. 
just tons of feel, very, very heavy. In fact, my then-girlfriend, now wife, used to hate driving it because she thought the steering was way too heavy. Um, and it, it was very heavy. You know, perfectly direct, old-school hydraulic power steering, old-school BMW hydraulic power steering. Um, and it had gone through a couple of suspensions uh, during my time with it. Uh, one was a Bilstein uh, H&R setup that was way too stiff. So I got I put on Bilstein Tourings, and they were much more comfortable. And, and stock springs, and uh, you know they were they were much better. But you know with that setup, that last setup that I had, it, it was a really great balance of like comfort, composure, uh, handling balance. It was just it was a really really nice car to drive. I really loved it. And the engine, oh that engine, what a gem! 2.8 liter straight six, like 190 horsepower. It wasn't very powerful, but and that was. 190 horsepower new who the hell knows how much power my car had because it probably wasn't even close to that anymore because like i said i neglected it for a long time so there was probably a lot wrong with that engine uh that i didn't even know about and you know granted as i started to get older i started to to wise up a bit you know as i started to get older i started to become more of a real car enthusiast someone who really understood cars more someone who read a lot more you know, I used to, I got into just reading every autom- automotive journalistic publication I could. You know, I really got into it. That's when I started to really take care of my car, going on forums and figuring out how to fix these things properly and, you know, what parts to use. And that's when I really started to get into it. But unfortunately, it was a bit too late. So by the time I really got into properly maintaining it, it was just in really bad shape. And it would have cost way too much money to really get it fixed up. So... I ended up, I was commuting uh, for work at the time, an hour each way, uh, all highway, and it was really getting beat up. You know, too many miles were getting put on it, and I just, I couldn't afford, uh, my wife and I just bought our first house, and we just had gotten married, so the bills were racking up, and I just, it just didn't make sense to, to put money into it, but I didn't want to get rid of it. It was my first car, you know, my wife and I went on our, our first date in that car, you know, it, had, it meant, it was a, it had a lot of sentimental value. That car meant a lot to me. It meant a lot to the both of us. Um... And so I didn't want to get rid of it. So I ended up getting another car. I just bought, I, I got a 2012 Volkswagen Passat, which was a great car. I actually loved that car. Um, it was bulletproof reliable, you know, really comfortable. It's a good car. But I didn't want to sell the 3 Series, so I kind of just kept it. I convinced my wife to let me keep it in the driveway because we had a condo at the time. And we only had a one-car driveway, but there was like a parking lot that you could park tons of cars in. Uh, but in the parking lot, the cars had, they couldn't just sit. And my car wasn't registered because I wasn't driving it. So I didn't have a register because um, I want to pay insurance on it or anything but you couldn't have it not register in the parking lot so I convinced my wife to let us use the only parking or the only uh, spot in the driveway we had for my E36 so she couldn't park in the driveway anymore which was probably really rude of me but I, I just couldn't part with it I couldn't get rid of it I loved it so much and it just sat for so long and then I'd, oh, I just put off fixing it and maintaining it for so long and you know life goes on and you have other things to pay for you know, other things to do and you know we had a, a baby on the way and i was like this is just getting too much I, I just can't put the time and money into fixing it anymore it's been sitting for so long i'll i'll just sell it you know I, i'll just sell it it hurt me to do it but i was like i'm not gonna it's, it's not worth anywhere near how much money i need to put into it to get it right to get it to, to the way i want so i'll just get rid of it just time so i remember i put it up for sale for like I think I put it for like 1500 bucks, and no bites. I mean months, no bites. No, no one even considered it. And I was really honest in the description, said all the things that were wrong with it, and there were several. Uh, you know, tons of pictures, so I wasn't trying to screw anyone. 
but no no one wanted my car so i dropped it to a thousand uh and then i think it was like maybe a week later after dropping to a thousand i get a call from a guy in brooklyn and i'm in like the jersey shore ish area so pretty far from brooklyn and he calls me and he's like i'll give you 500 bucks for the car if it runs and i was like 500 bucks that's that's a little low and he was like, yeah, but there's a lot wrong with it. He's like, I'm, and he was really honest. He's like, I have a shop. We build E36 track cars. I need the body parts. I'm going to chop that thing to pieces. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you 500 bucks today if it runs. And I looked at my wife and I was like, all right, fine. It hurts me that you're going to chop it to pieces, but no one else is offering to buy this damn thing. So uh, I was like, fine, just get it out of here. 500 bucks, whatever. I don't, it's not about the money. I, I, I just, just, I need it out of here <laughs> and fine. So he came all the way down from Brooklyn, and he asked me before he, before he came, he was like, does it run? And I said, yes. It ran, you know, last week. I started up to make sure everything's good. It, it runs. So he was like, all right. So he comes down, and he packs him and, like, five other dudes, and they come down in their pickup truck with a trailer, and they get there, and he's like, they go, they go to check it out, and he's like, all right, body looks good. It's what I need it for. He's like, does it run? So we start, go to start it up. It doesn't start. It doesn't run. Finally, we get it to start. Um, you know, we put like just poured some more oil into it, thinking maybe it just needed like some oil to run through. We poured some more oil in, uh, stuff like that. It started. We couldn't even get the hood open. The hood latch had broken like ages ago, but uh, we, so we couldn't get the hood open. But one of the dudes that came was like an E36 magician. He was able to like finagle his fingers into the, the grill and pop the damn hood open. I was really impressed actually. Um, but he got the hood open. We, we got some oil in there, got it to run. Uh, and it just ran horribly. And I don't know what happened between then and you know, me starting it up previously, but it just ran like crap. And he just looked at me, and he was like, dude, I thought you said it runs well. And I was like, I thought so too. So he goes, I'll give you 300 bucks because it, it runs like 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 shit, basically. So I was like, ah, all right, uh, whatever. You came all this way. I was like, just give me the 300 bucks. So he gave me 300 bucks, and he took, put my car into the trailer, and he drove off with my first car and i know that somewhere my car is in a million different pieces but maybe those pieces don't even exist anymore they might have been smashed on a, on a racetrack because he said he was building track cars but um yeah and before he came before those guys got there i actually went out and i sat in the driver's seat for like a half hour just looking at everything poking around buttons feeling the steering wheel i just i loved that car it really meant a lot to me not just as a car because it was so much fun to drive and it was my first car but like like i said I met my wife in that car. We had our first date in that car. You know, it was my my daily driver when we got married. It was, I don't know, it just meant a lot to me. It was a car that I've had, I had for so long. It was a huge part of my life. You know, that car was a huge part of my, my that's a giant chunk of my life. Ten years I had that car. So it meant a lot to me. So it really genuinely was upsetting to see it go. Like it really, I was genuinely upset. Like it bothered me a lot. I remember going back inside and like sitting down next to my wife and it was like someone kicked my dog. I was like really, really upset. And um, it, it's crazy how the cars build that attachment. And the E36, it was a huge pain in my ass for so long. It cost me so much money in repairs and so much money in parts and so many like weekends of agonizing labor and me throwing tools because I would just get so frustrated with it. Um, but I still loved it. It's still it still has a soft spot in my heart. And Horatio did a, 
something really nice for us all at BMW Blog uh, a few years ago. One of the first years, actually, that I worked for BMW Blog. He got us all these um, these really nice, like, blueprint, uh, sort of, it's like this big poster, but it's, like, etched. And it's the entire blueprint of my car. So it's, you know, they you give the company your VIN number, and they sort of give you the entire blueprint of the car, the model, everything, the suspension uh, details, the engine details, power to weight ratio, everything, you know, and all the VIN information. It's really, really, really cool. Uh, it's like an engraved, like etched poster thing. It's really awesome. And I, I still have it, and it's actually hanging over my desk right now. And it just always reminds me of my car. So even though I don't have it anymore, it's still, there's still a little piece of me. And I took the hood emblem off. The, the BMW Roundel, the hood emblem, I still have. It's actually on my desk um, as we speak. I'm looking at it right now. So I still have that and this cool engraved uh, you know artwork of the blueprint of my car, specifically my car. And uh, so it's always going to be a part of me and a part of, you know, I'm always going to have this to, to remember that car. So it's just crazy how, you know, something that's just essentially, you know, a box of metal with four wheels is can can really stick you know, can really stick to your soul. Uh, it's just wild. So I, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit because I've been talking about E36s, you know, referencing them a few times here and there over the past couple weeks, and it's just, it, the card's been on my mind, so I wanted to talk about it. And uh, I think uh, I think we did a buyer's guide. I think I did a buyer's guide of it a while back. If I haven't, I should do one. Uh, and I'll tell people to stay away because it's a freaking nightmare um, to deal with. The cooling system, holy crap, the cooling system of that car used to drive me insane. I went through two radiators, like three fan clutches, two fans, uh, you know, multiple thermostats, at least one water pump. Oh my God, that was a such a pain in the ass to work on. And bleeding the air out of the system used to make me crazy. <laughs> Every time I had to replace something, like replace the radiator, I had to drain all the antifreeze out and then, you know, re bleed the air out of the system. And oh my God, that would make me crazy. It would take forever. Such a pain in the ass. Such a pain in the ass that car was, but I loved it. I loved it a lot, and I think that there's a lot of enthusiasts listening and a lot of enthusiasts who read our our site, just a lot of enthusiasts in general, that have a similar feeling about their own car, what whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be a, a crazy car, you know, on paper. It doesn't have to be a special car on paper. It just has to be special to you. Just like my E36, it was probably the lamest E36. It was a silver sedan with an automatic. You know, it wasn't anything special, but it was my car, and it was special to me. So there are a lot of people out there that have cars that aren't special necessarily. Uh, you know, not objectively special, but they're special to them. And it's crazy how these things can stick like that. So yeah, that's all we have for you today. Uh, I'm going to stop boring you about my car and start uh, stop reminiscing And before I start to cry. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all we have for you today. Um, we're going to be, actually, I'm traveling a little bit next week, so... Uh, maybe have some cool stories for you next week for next week's podcast. We're going to try to get some more guests on as well. And again, uh, always ask me questions. I love to answer questions on the podcast. So shoot any of them you have over. Or even just if you want to tell us a story. Like I just told you a story about my car. If you want to tell me a story about your car. Or if you have any question at all, please shoot it over to me at Nico, N-I-C-O, at BMWblog.com. And I will share those questions and answer them uh, on the next episode. So uh, thank you for listening and stay tuned for next week.